John chapter 21. Here we go. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan, Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And so they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. And so they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some, some of the fish that you have just caught. And so Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The VBS lesson starts this way, because he is Lord, we can obey him. And I want to tweak that just a bit uh, for us today, for our purposes. And I want to say this, that when we listen to and when we follow Jesus, our nets will always be full. Our nets will always be full. So there are two things that I want to just spend some time on and circle around today. And they are fishing. That's the first thing. And the second thing is fire, fire, fishing and fire. First, fishing. Fishing in this text is for the disciples a call back to their mission. And in this text, you have a familiar boat, you have them not getting any bites, and then you finally have the right bait at the end. There is a fishing trip that some of our people take, a few people that are connected to our church. And it started 17 years ago or so, I think in the year 2000. And uh, the reason that it started was one person in the, this group of friends was going through a really hard time. And so his friends got around him and they said, you know what, we need to do something for a friend. He's going through a really hard time. We need to distract him a little bit. We just need to get him away from the situation so he can process and think. And so they came up with this idea of this fishing trip. And the fishing trip has continued from that day to this. And along the way, people have gotten married off and they've moved all over the country. Um, and they are separated in all sorts of other ways. But once a year, they all come back to the same place and they fish for a week. Now, I've heard them talk about this fishing trip, but that's all. I've never seen pictures of any fish that were caught. And I, I asked one of the people who, actually, I, I have a t-shirt of the fishing trip. That's a long story, but it's from 2005. It's a 12-year-old t-shirt. Thank you very much. And um, 
the reason I have the t-shirt is because I asked, I said, uh, tell me about your fishing trip and why you go, because I never see any pictures of fish. And he said, this is why we go. It's not necessarily to fish, but it's all about fishing. Do you understand what I'm talking about when I say that? Sometimes you just need to fish. It's not about catching anything. You just need friendship. You need connecting points. You need therapy in your life, right? And that's where the disciples are. I want you to think about the last few days and weeks of the disciples' life. And we start with the triumphal entry. They're going in and they have all this hope uh, for high places and Jesus is going to be crowned king. And then that later that week, they have a supper with him and it proves to be his last. Later that night, they are surrounded by men with spears and swords who want to arrest them all and they take off. They flee. Jesus goes with them willingly. He ends up being crucified on a cross like a common criminal. The disciples are scattered. They're not sure what to do. Peter himself uh, denies Jesus three times. And three days later, unbelievably, Jesus begins to appear to his disciples. He tells some of them, go back to Galilee. Go back to where we started this thing. And so some of them are there in John chapter 21. There's about seven of them. And they are in Galilee and they are confused. They're frazzled. They're processing because... They're not sure what to think. And Peter stands up in the midst of this and says, I'm going fishing. Because he needed to fish. He needed something normal in his life. He needed some comfort. And he's going back to what is familiar. And even the text makes us aware of this. It says they all got in the boat. As if the boat is the one they always use. They never left it. They pick up life where they left off even before they started following Jesus. And they begin to do what they do because they're fishermen and they fish. Fish all night long. But after all night of effort, there's not a bite. Not a bite. And if this trip is just therapy, then maybe we know why they didn't catch a fish. But even so... If you're a fisherman and you don't catch anything, you're a frustrated fisherman. Anybody know or have seen frustrated fishermen? Yes. We see the pole and we see a stringer that's empty and we say, hey, how'd it go? And they growl at us, not even a nibble. Ugh, not even a bite. They're frustrated. Now, can I suggest that every one of us is fishing for something and every one of us at some point is going to be a frustrated fisherman because we're fishing for the things that really cannot satisfy our hearts at the end of the day. We fish for things in life that are worth fishing for. Don't don't misunderstand me. But they can't bring us what we want them to bring us. They cannot satisfy our hearts Fully, If we want to live wise lives, lives, (laughs) lives, (laughs) wise lives, we will understand this, that as we chase after that promotion, after we chase after that award, after we chase after that account or that job or that home, we need to remember 
that even when we catch it, it will never give us the hope that we want it to give us. It will never make us truly whole. It will never save us to the point that we want it to save us. It can never be our Savior. Only Jesus can do that. And so, when you chase after those things, celebrate. That's great. But understand, at the end of the day, and this is a phrase you might write down so you can repeat to yourself, at the end of the day, Say this to yourself, I haven't caught anything. Oh, I've built my dream house. I knew a guy in another place, and he spent his whole life saving to build his dream house. And once he built it, I'm telling you, it was nice. And I said, how do you like your house? He said this, biggest letdown of my life. Not because it wasn't an awesome house, not because he didn't enjoy it, but because he was putting on it the hope of it giving him something that it was incapable of giving him. And so we need to remember that even when we catch those things in life that we're after, we need to remember, I really haven't caught a thing. So these guys come up empty in their fishing, and they see a guy on the shore who begins to yell at them. And we know that this is Jesus. They do not. It's just a stranger to them. And he shows up, and he says, have you caught anything? Well, they're frustrated fishermen right now. And they say no. And he says something that you should never say to fishermen who are frustrated. Why don't you try your net on the other side of the boat? I don't know the super secrets that are hidden methods of fishermen. My extent of fishing, I, I've fished a lot of my lifetime, but uh, it's not uh, you know, something that I'm really super good at. Uh, my extent of fishing is watching river monsters. Anybody? Yes, and saying, fish on! Say it with me, because you like, you like to say it, right? Fish on! Yes, awesome. That's the extent of my... But I do know this, I know this, that when frustrated fishermen aren't catching anything, they don't want your advice. What have you caught? Nothing. What are you using? <sighs> Jig. Well, have you tried marshmallows? Marshmallows always work. These guys decide to trust the stranger's marshmallow advice. Okay, we'll throw our nets 20 feet this way as if that's going to help. No problem. And wouldn't you know it, the net instantly, miraculously becomes full. Full. And don't, don't miss this. Jesus gives them what they've been fishing for all night long. How many of you can say that in your life? You can say amen to that. I thought my heart would be satisfied by fishing for all of this other stuff in life, but even when I caught something, I never really caught it. I always came up short. It never delivered fully. It always lacked that thing that I was after. But when I gave up that chase, that fishing after the stuff, and I fished for Jesus and I chased for him, ironically, I I got what I was after all along. How many of you can say that? And if he does this and we can trust him to satisfy our thirsty hearts and souls, then why would we give our hearts to anything else? Why would we begin to fish other places when it's only Jesus that will give us what we're really after? And so these disciples have a full net of fish and they put the pieces together and they recognize for the first time that it's Jesus. 
This is Jesus. John says, it's the Lord from the boat. He's looking at the shore. It, it's Jesus. And Peter looks and he's, he realizes that it's Jesus as well. And John recognizes, but Peter reacts. Peter just instinctively just jumps in the water and starts swimming to Jesus. And Peter is impetuous, right? But he's no dummy. And as he's swimming, I, I surely think that he recalls that this very scene has happened before. It's, in, it's recorded for us in Luke chapter 5. And Peter is letting the new rabbi Jesus use his boat. And Jesus is teaching people on the shore. And after he teaches them, he says, Peter, I know it's day and you've been fishing all night, but we need to fish some more. Well, I want you to go out really deep and we're going to throw the nets in. And Peter looks at Jesus as if to say, uh, that's not how you catch fish. Maybe you should stick to your Bible thing. You're not a fisherman. Jesus says, trust me, I slept at a Holiday Inn Express last night. Go out to the deep water, throw your nets in, see what happens. So Peter does. Lo and behold, the nets are full to the extent that they cannot manage all the fish. And that's all it took for Peter. That's all it took for Peter to realize that this new rabbi wasn't just a new rabbi. This rabbi was God himself. And he fell down at Jesus' feet. He said, I am a sinful man, O Lord. And he was afraid. Jesus said, don't be afraid. Because what I'm calling you to now is to fish for men. You've been a fisherman all your life, but you've been fishing for the wrong thing. Right now, I want you to follow me so that you'll know how to catch men. And he's taken back, Peter is, to that first time that Jesus called him. And this whole scene is a call back to what Jesus had called his disciples to in the first place. He had called Peter and the other disciples to fish for men. And it's possible that that call was on this very beach and he's calling them back to it. John tells us that when they get the net to shore, they start counting the fish. And John gives us the number. And John never wastes his words. And so we got to ask, why in the world does John record the number 153? And there are all kinds, over the years, there are all kinds of crazy theories about this number and what it means. And a lot of theologians have tried to make it mean other things. Uh, and we're going to keep it simple today. I want to show you a picture. This is a picture of my grandpa and a friend of his in 1958. And the reason I show you the picture is because it was in the Kansas uh, State Fish and Game magazine. Because what my grandpa on the left is holding is a 22-pound drum. Uh, it's, that's the kind of fish. I, again, I don't know anything about fishing. Okay. But at that time, it would have been a state record had they had the right witnesses in place. But they didn't. So it's not a record. But they got their picture in the magazine. And uh, we're pretty proud of that picture. Right? And he's obviously, the, he and his friend are obviously proud of this fish. Why? Because they're fishermen. And fishermen like to measure things. It was this big, right? Fishermen like to weigh things. Fishermen like to count the number of fish. The most likely explanation for the number to be written by John is because they're fishermen. Look at what we caught. Look at the abundant catch. And they're proud of what they caught. And this time, Jesus always taught in parables, but this scene is a living parable where 
Jesus says to his disciples, look at what I've just orchestrated for you. That's what I want to orchestrate for you as you go forward for me in the church. I want you to use me as the bait. I'm the right bait. I'm the bait. And I want you to go and I want you to draw people, to point people to me. I want to give you a chance to do a little fishing in the coming days, okay? And so we're going to throw this, this number out, 153. And I want you, just for about 15 seconds, I want you to drain your brain of anything that you're thinking, okay? And here's what I want you to think for 15 seconds. I want you to think of one person that needs to be in God's net, in God's church, that is not currently in God's net. One person. I'll give you a chance. Whatever the Holy Spirit, whatever image, whatever picture, whatever person he brings to your mind, I want you to write that down in that blank. One person that needs to be in God's net that isn't. It's in your sermon notes. Everybody got that? Okay, now, later, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of five prayers that you can pray concerning that person. Five things that are going on in their life that you can pray about. And you can begin to say, God, would you help so-and-so with this? Five different things. And then three possible ways to show them love. Or three possibilities in the coming days, in the coming weeks, that you might be able to show love to that person. Now, what did we not say here? We did not say, go beat them over the head with a Bible right? We're just loving people. Who's the person that needs to know a resurrected Jesus? What are some ways that you can pray for them? What are some ways that you can love them? And he will provide a catch when we go fishing, when we listen to his voice, throw the nets where he directs us to throw the nets. There will always be a catch and our nets will always be full. And so that's fishing. And really quickly, I want to talk about fire, just for a couple seconds. The fire, the fishing was a call back to mission to get them on board with catching men. The fire is a call forward to resurrection. Here is a resurrected Jesus walking up and down the beach, directing them where to throw their nets. And they're all, they all come back on shore. And when they get to shore, they see a fire. Our VBS theme is about fire, right? And they are all around the fire. And I want you to see three things while they're at that fire. First, I want you to see Peter who is beat up while he's over the fire. You know, the last time in Peter's life that he was around a fire warming himself. Anybody guess? It was the night that he was around a fire and somebody said, hey, Weren't you with Jesus? No, no, I don't, I don't think I know him. Mm-mm. I don't know what's going on in there. Mm-mm. I'm pretty sure that you were, well, aren't you one of his disciples? No, no, I told you. It's warm by the fire, but I told you I'm not one of his disciples. Third time. I'm pretty sure you were with him. No, and he begins to rain down curses on the people that are around this fire with him. I do not know this man. Stop it. And he does the very thing 
that he told Jesus himself that he would never do. I will go to my death before I betray you. And yet around this fire in John chapter 18, he denies Jesus three times. And on the beach, he sees Jesus on the other side of a fire. And he begins warming himself because he's wet. He's just swam from the boat, right? And there is no way possible that those denials and that last fire aren't in his mind. Can you imagine the guilt and the shame that's brought back just by warming himself at a fire? And this scene is probably orchestrated on Peter's behalf by Jesus. And it's as if Jesus is saying this. This is the message. Peter, you denied me over the fire. But I will not let fires from now on in your life point to your sin. I don't want you every time you step up to a fire to remember your denials. Here's what I want you to remember. I want you to remember that you're forgiven. I want you to remember that there's no condemnation for you, Peter. I want you to remember that I'm your friend. I'm your savior. I died for that sin. And the fires from now on have to mean you're forgiven. You're forgiven. And just as he did at the cross, God has a way of taking the worst we can imagine and turning it into hope. Into hope. The other thing we need to see around the fire is Jesus fixing breakfast. And very quickly, it just means that Jesus, even in a resurrected state, is a very physical thing, physical person. He's a human being. We always like to think of uh, maybe he's a ghost or a spirit at this point. No, he he uh, is not dead. He's more fully alive than ever. He's resurrected and he has a body, he has arms and legs and he waves to the disciples and he motions to them, throw the net over there and he yells to them and he walks up and down the shore collecting sticks and he builds a fire and he cooks over the fire and he actually eats the fish. This is a very physical material person who is making breakfast on the shore. And what should that tell us? It should just tell us that our physical humanity is good. Don't, don't let anybody tell you, give you nonsense about uh, the physical part of you is bad and, and you need to seek the spiritual things because the, only the spiritual things are good. No, spiritual is everything. Your body is as much spiritual as it is physical. And the physical part of you is good. And Jesus showed that in his resurrection. Here's number three. The disciples around the fire sharing bread, sharing bread. And as they share bread together, Jesus says, come and eat. Uh, I want to have breakfast with you. And he gives them uh, fish and he gives them bread. And as they're sitting there on the lake shore, I guarantee that some of their ministry that they have been through together went through their minds. Do you remember, Jesus might, might have said, the, the 5,000 that we fed with fish and bread? Do you remember out on that water, where Peter got out of the boat and walked and then he sank? Do you remember the storms that happened out on that water that I was able to still? Do you remember the people that came that I taught and that you ministered to? Do you remember all of this time together and they're having a meal? And over this meal, there's a curious line in the text. John says it this way. They knew it was him, the disciples. They knew it was Jesus, but they didn't ask who are you? 
They wanted to, but they didn't. Now, that's a weird way of saying it. Why didn't they want to? Don't they know him by now? I mean, if you want to have a really bad day with your spouse, tomorrow morning, when you first wake up, tap them on the shoulder, look at them in the face and say, who are you? Right? You should know your spouse. (laughs) They know Jesus. Why do they want to ask, but they're afraid to ask? And this line only makes sense if somehow Jesus is the same, but he's also who he's always been. It only makes sense if he's Jesus, but he's also astronomically different. Is that possible? Absolutely it's possible. The resurrection makes it possible. This Jesus has come back from whatever life is beyond this one. And he has come back in a resurrected human body. And he is full of life. And what is that like? What must it have been like to sit across the fire from resurrected Jesus? And it's at this point where we could have a really fun discussion. We, d- we could discuss about what our bodies are going to be like, you know, after, after we die and go to heaven. And, and what age will we be in heaven? And will we recognize people? And will we be able to fly? Will there be dogs in heaven? All of that kind of stuff. That's fun. Okay. But what if... What if they didn't ask any of those questions and they dared not ask any of those questions because they didn't have to? There's a lady named Crystal and she was baptized when she was nine years old after begging her mom. They weren't church people, but she begged her mom. Maybe she was a VBS. I don't know. She begged her mom, can I be baptized? And so she was. And because she didn't have a support system at home, her path took a path you know, that a lot of people's take. There, there was just not a lot of support, and hers ended up being a common story. She was a little reckless with her life. She got involved with the wrong people, and the wrong people led to a marriage that was busted, and all of a sudden, she's 30-something, and she's a single mom, and she has no support. And at 33, she enters the hospital with pancreatitis. And complications from that led to her dying on the table for nine minutes. And she writes about what she experienced in that nine minutes. She describes meeting God. She describes his concern for her. She describes his presence and his overwhelming radiant love for her. And I don't, I don't know that there's anybody here that doesn't have questions that they would like to ask God. And she had those same questions. Why, God? Why do you allow bad things? Why do you allow this starvation? Why do you allow brutality and injustice? She had all of those questions, but she writes this. She says, in my life, I wanted to know why he didn't love me. Because it sure seemed like he didn't love me, all the things that were happening into my life. I wanted to know why. Or I wanted to know why he lets bad things happen. And yet, as I stood in front of him and I faced him and I fell to my knees and I raised my hands, the only question that I called out was, why didn't I do more for you? That's the only question I had. 
because in an instant he revealed his true self to me, which is love. I had never truly worshipped God ever in my entire life, but I fell in front of him and I worshipped him. And as I lay there and worship in awe of this creator, I remember saying, I could worship you for eternity. Crystal's questions had been answered before she even asked them. Could it be the same on the beach with the disciples sitting in front of a resurrected Jesus? They dared not ask him any questions because everything seemed to make sense. We could say it this way. What if in the light of his resurrected face, Every other care, every other concern, every other question, every worry in life fades away. What if our hearts really can be satisfied by a resurrected Jesus? Wouldn't that be worth sharing to other people? We sing it this way, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It's not an accident that the, Je- the resurrected Jesus had a meal with his disciples that time on the beach. And it's not an accident that we get together every Sunday and we come around a table for a meal. And in that meal, our objective is this, to remind ourselves of a resurrected Jesus. And when we see his face, we truly see him as he is. The cares and the worries and the concerns of the world will fade away. Jesus says, come, have breakfast. And when we see him and worship him as he is, eternity can be spent there. I want to ask you to stand and we're going to sing that hymn with that line. O soul, are you weary and troubled? And as the men come and as the emblems are passed today, Uh, you are invited to stare into the face of the resurrected Jesus. The two ideas that we have uh, kind of bobbing on the water today are fishing and fire, right? Fishing is a call back to mission, call back to fishing for men. And fire is a call to resurrection, a call to see the risen Jesus. And how do those two connect? They connect this way. Let me give it to you in this very simple line. Seeking communion with a resurrected Jesus in our ordinary and everyday life will lead always to full nets, to full nets. If we're not pointing people to a risen Jesus, if we're not around the fire with him sharing Uh, the bread that he offers us, if we're not tuning in to his voice when he says, throw the nets over there, then we will, even if 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 we manage to catch something in our nets, our nets will always be empty. And if our nets are empty, then we're back to fishing at night. We're back to fishing on our own. And we need the help of Jesus. So let me give you this last line. The reason that the disciples had a catch that day was not because the fish were there, but because Jesus was there. And the reason that we will have a productive church is not because we necessarily say the right things or do the right things. It's because Jesus 
will show up and Jesus will drive people into the nets. And so that's the way we pray. Would you just go out of these doors and listen to the voice of Jesus? And when he says, throw the net, throw the net.